to Revelation chapter 22. And I've titled today's message, Face to Face with Jesus. As we come to the final chapter of Revelation and we catch a glimpse of our eternal home, the place that Jesus promised in the passage that Mark read earlier, John 14, 1-6, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We will dwell with God for all eternity in a perfect world and with the redeemed of the Lord, our brothers and sisters. So you better get to liking one another. (laughs) I'm sure you do anyway, but uh, we're going to be together forever. And we're going to be in a place that is going to know no sorrow and no pain and no grief and no sadness. A marvelous, marvelous place. I was reading a number of different uh, viewpoints uh, on what heaven is going to be like. And I appreciated some things that uh, Dr. Wayne Grudem uh, said in his systematic theology. I have given uh, credit to him there about Roman numeral one the new heavens and the new earth. But I'd like to read the Scripture passage before we come to the first point. Revelation 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The Scripture says that we will live eternally with God in a new heaven and a new earth. And the points that follow basically elaborate on this a little bit, but I want us to to always keep in mind, people have such distorted views of heaven. They have such peculiar ideas about what heaven's going to be like. There are people who literally think we're going to be floating around in the clouds, you know, with angel wings and things like that. And people that don't see it as having any material substance. We just kind of, in our spirit, float off into some kind of netherworld and hang out up there among the stars. But the Scripture says that God is taking us to a place that will include a new heaven and a new earth. And heaven is a place. It's not a state of mind. It's not purely an existence of non-material being. There is a philosophy that goes way back uh, thousands of years that all matter is evil and all spirit is good. 
and never the two can meet. That was one of the heresies that under, uh, underlay the um, idea that Jesus could not have been fully human and or fully God because the theory was that matter, material substance, and spirit could never intermingle. The one, uh, the, the material substance would taint and destroy the spiritual substance. And so, uh, th- this is kind of like the yin and the yang. It's the, the opposing uh, poles within the universe. And the Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible teaches that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything that is in it, including us, which He made from dust of the ground and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, And we became living beings. And as a consequence, God looked at everything that He had made and He said, this is very good. And that includes the whole material universe. The problem we have with it today is because sin has tainted it and it has affected all aspects of uh, the physical world. But God is in the business of restoration. And it's not that we're going to go to some uh, mysterious, smoky, cloudy, hazy, netherworld existence, but we're going to a place. And it's going to be a place that has a certain degree of familiarity. Because we're going to be in resurrected bodies. We're going to recognize each other. People say, well, they didn't recognize Jesus. That's because they weren't expecting to see Him. You know, as soon as He spoke or as soon as they looked closer, they immediately knew who He was. And He still bore, for their sake, the nail prints in His hands and the uh, piercing of His side. I'm grateful and, and thankful that I can report to you that we won't bear marks of our infirmity, but Jesus retained His as a testimony of His love for us. And so we're going to know each other. We're going to be in a place that, that has, can I say, physicality. It's going to be, there's going to be gravity and there's going to be a world and we're going to be standing on it. I don't know what kind of moving around we're going to do. There's some pretty interesting things that happened in Scripture about people uh, zipping around uh, seemingly without needing uh, rapid transportation. But uh, heaven is a place. It's not a state of mind. The physical creation will be renewed and will continue to exist and we will exist and act in it. God is making a place that will be a restoration in essence of, of Eden before the fall. And if you look at all of Scripture, God is beginning at the beginning and going throughout all of human history in order to restore what was lost. And I think as well make it better. Because there's going to be certain aspects of the new heaven and the new earth that far surpass the original Eden. 
But certainly that imagery is there as we see in just a moment with the, the river of the water of life and the, the tree that bears its fruit every month in season. Our resurrected bodies will be a part of the new creation. As I mentioned, we're, we're going to have some recognition of one another. There's going to be a, a certain familiarity. But we're going to be ageless. I don't know what age we're going to be, but it, it's going to go on forever. <laughs> you, you can figure that out. I, I, don't, I don't think there's going to be infants. Uh, you know, I think they'll somehow have matured. I'm not suggesting they're not there. I'm just suggesting they're, they're growing up. Um, but we will be ageless, and yet we will be material. We will be physical in our resurrected body. Paul says in Corinthians 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, we don't know what, when we're raised, exactly what we'll be like. We don't know, uh, we bury this seed which is perishable when it rises imperishable and immortal and, and the substance of that which rises is not exactly like that which you plant and yet the kernel the the essence of it is there and so we're going to be restored as would have happened in Eden had there not been an interruption of sin and the new creation will not be timeless, but it will include an unending succession of moments. Now, this is a bit philosophical, but hang with me a moment. Let me explain what I mean by this. God is transcendence of time. He exists in a realm that encompasses all of time. The end and the beginning are alike seen simultaneously by God because He is above time. Although He lives with us in time, He is able to accurately tell us what the future will be like because He has already seen it. In fact, it is following His sovereign purpose. He knows who's going to be President of the United States. After Tuesday, president-elect and president in January. He knows that. He's known that for 4,000 years. He is timeless. We, on the other hand, will always exist in time. And time is a succession of moments. The fact that there's not going to be any uh, need for the sun, uh, sunlight, because the light of the glory of God will be the light of the city, does not negate the concept. Because notice what it says about the tree. It will bear fruit every month. And every month, and this is a very interesting tree, every month it's going to bear a different kind of fruit. Have you ever seen a tree like that? This is apparently the tree of life that is restored from Eden, and its leaves are going to be for the healing of the nations. This is John's symbolic way of saying there's going to flow from the throne of God the river of life, which is clear as crystal. In other words, God is the source of life eternal. From Him flows life eternal. 
and planted on either side of the river of life will be the tree of life. And the tree will provide healing and sustenance for all who partake of it. It will be there to give us eternal life. You remember what was said in Genesis when uh, Adam and Eve were uh, excommunicated from the garden and the angel was put on guard to guard the way back? Lest they take of the fruit of the tree of life and eat it and live forever in this terrible state. And so... They were prohibited from having access to the tree of life. But in the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to have access to the tree of life. In other words, all of our needs, all of our sustenance, all, all of our provision, everything that we have ever needed in life is going to be provided from the throne of God by the water of life that supplies the tree and the tree of life that brings the healing and, and we're going to be perfectly cared for. This is uh, Paul Martin going off on a tangent here. This is not in the Bible, so make a note of this. But I have, uh, I have a thought that has intrigued me. We don't know where Eden was. For one thing, flood geology has pretty much uh, covered up uh, any nature of its prior existence. And so Eden's kind of lost to us. We can sort of uh, pick it out with the four rivers, but not exactly for sure. We know it was somewhere in that fertile crescent, probably. But who knows what the flood did to all of that geology. I have wondered if Jerusalem was not the Garden of Eden. And I wonder if when... Jesus establishes the new heavens and the new earth and the heavenly city comes down. If that's not going to be where Eden was out of the heart of Jerusalem. It's just, just my thought. So don't, uh, don't put that down as infallible. But uh, it's an intriguing thing to contemplate. That God will come back to the place where He in essence, vacated the human spirit. But in the redeemed of the Lord, He will return and He will set up His eternal kingdom there. And that will be the place where heaven is. The revelation to John and the vision of the new heaven and the new earth is first of all designed to give us hope and confidence in an amazing future with God. Hope and confidence in an amazing future. You know, one of the things that I want to be sure of when I come to the end of my life is that I know God well. And that the contemplation of waking up in His presence both in the short term and in the eternal term, will not be frightening to me, but a welcome transition. To be so confident of my future home and so assured that He is going to safely 
take me there that I can rest with assurance in knowing Him and having that confidence. Jesus loves us so much that He has given us this revelation along with many, many other indications in both Testaments. But particularly in this book of Revelation, He has given us the assurance and the confidence of what lies in the future. And this is the the last chapter. And this is the, the beauty and the glory of the place that He has prepared. As much as we can comprehend it. But He wants us to know it's real. It exists. I'm making it for you. I'm preparing it. And you're going to be there. And it's going to be better than anything you can even imagine. It's going to go beyond uh, anything that could, could come into your mind. Uh, dream your greatest dreams. Project your greatest imagination. And heaven is going to be more wonderful than that. We will not be able to contain the immense glory. One of the amazing things is that throughout the Old Testament, do you remember what God said to Moses? No one can see my face and live. And in Jesus, God was veiled in human flesh. But now He's telling us that we will abide in the place of His glory without fear and without shrinking away. We will be comfortable in His presence. Isn't that amazing? That we have a place that will have such intimacy with God as to be comfortable in His presence. I don't mean that to suggest irreverent. I just mean at home, at ease. The revelation of the vision to John is intended to fortify us in the trials of life, knowing that one day everything will be perfect. Have you been wronged? Have you been hurt? Have you been abused? Are you sick? Have you lost your job and you're suffering financial catastrophe? Are you struggling with relationships and, and things that make you sad and having the difficulties of life that are just out of whack? Every one of us has something like that going on. None of us have these flowery beds of ease for life. And here is the assurance that no matter how dark the night, no matter how tough the trial, no matter how weighty and burdensome the process, that on the other side, everything will one day be perfect. Isn't that a glorious hope? You know, you listen to what we call uh, musically the genre of Negro spirituals. I don't know if that's politically correct these days, but it is a genre of music. You listen to those of people who were slaves, who did not have the ability to choose the partner they loved for life, but were bred like animals to produce better slaves 
who lived in the poorest of conditions and barely had rags to wear and worked in the cotton fields. But some of them had heard the gospel and the gospel had spread. And they came to know Jesus. And what's the theme of their songs? Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. The theme of their songs is heaven. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to see Him. I have this future. And it beats anything I have to suffer here. I'm looking for the day. You know why there's not a lot of talk today among Gen Xers and and younger people and, and the younger generation? And I'm not picking on on any of you in particular. I'm just naming the category. We don't talk about heaven much anymore. It's because life is too easy. We have too many toys. We have lots of things. We have comfortable houses and nice cars and we can pretty much do a lot of the things we just want to do. And there's not a longing in our heart to get out of the mess. There may be this time next year. But right now, it's pretty easy. And so, heaven is not a theme that dominates our thinking. But the Scripture says it should. There is nothing this world can give us to compare with heaven. There is nothing that we can be offered that can even hold a candle to being with Jesus. We, are, we should be those who long for His coming and yearn for His final solution to, to the morass of the human condition in which we find ourselves. And the vision of heaven is in Encouraging us to be holy as God's love and plans for us overwhelm our less noble tendencies. I had an experience the other day. I was driving and listening to uh, XM radio and was listening to the gospel station. And there was a song. I don't remember the song, but it came on. But it was talking about how much Jesus loves us. And all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed as when I was first converted with the love that Jesus had for me, that He died for me. It, it really, it, it just took my breath away for a moment. And it filled me at the same time with sadness and with unspeakable joy. I, it's like it was all fresh again. This is how much I love you. I've washed your sins away. I've paid the price. You are free. You're my child. Wow. Do you have those moments that you just get overwhelmed by His love? You know, the thing that motivates us to holiness is not the law or the fear of punishment. If that would work, 
all kind of people would be Christians. That doesn't work. People read the laws of God and go on ignoring them willy-nilly. The thing that truly inspires holiness is the love of God. When you know how much He loves you. And you see how much He cares for you and, and how invested He is in you. I don't want to make Him unhappy. I don't want to displease Him. I want to love Him back. When Jesus says, those who love Me will keep My commandments, He was not saying, you keep My commandments to prove, uh, to, to earn My love or to whatever. He was saying, if you love Me, keeping My commandments will automatically follow. It's not the other way around. Holiness flows from a love relationship with Jesus. And here's the most amazing thing. Someone came up to me two weeks ago after the message, and you recall I was talking about the New Jerusalem, and I was trying to give some description of what that was like and what heaven was like, and uh, someone came up to me after the service, and they said, you know, I used to, uh, to ask my mother what heaven would be like. And she said, it will be like seeing the face of God for the first time. Isn't that something? We will see God. If you read the verse closely, and, and it's, it's rather intriguing. It says, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. Notice that the throne is singular, but God and the Lamb represent two persons of the Holy Trinity, and His servant will serve Him. They will see His face. Do we mean the face of the Lamb or the face of God? It's ambiguous. It implies we will see God face to face. The Bible states that which is incomprehensible, we will see the face of God. The unity of the Trinity places God, the Father, and the emanating Spirit, and the Lamb upon a single throne and says simply but profoundly, we will see His face. We, we don't see His face now. We see through a mirror dimly, as Paul put it. We, we don't see clearly. We have a hard time imagining Jesus uh, in the flesh. And yet, John says, we know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And when we are dwelling in that heavenly place, we will dwell in the presence of God whose face we will see. Not the humanity of Jesus only, but we will see in some way the glory of the deity of God. And we will live, as I said a moment ago, at ease in His presence. 
Remember what Jesus said to his disciples as he was having that last conversation with them in some depth? And, and he said, I do not call you servants or slaves. I call you friends. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends because I have told you the secret things of my heart. I have shared with you my heart. The scripture speaks of Moses as one who talked with God as a man speaks with his friend. And Abraham who walked with God and had this very special relationship And in that day, when we are in heaven, we will have fellowship with God face to face, unbroken, and unveiled. And we will not be afraid because He calls us His friends. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine what that's going to be like? To be that close to God? And so, as we go on in the last chapter of John, verse 6, the angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent His angel to show His servants the things which soon must take place. Look! I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down and worshipped at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Friends, if there was ever doubt of the full and absolute deity of Jesus Christ, here is the one who is coming soon. I am coming soon. Who is that? It's Jesus. And what does He say? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the timeless one. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go out through the gates of the city. Outside are dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. There is his humanity and the bright and morning star. This is our Jesus. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come.
And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. This is the fourth time the term prophecy has been mentioned. And I just want to underscore it quickly. Everyone refers to John as apocalyptic literature, and it is, and often though by that they mean highly symbolic, which it also is to an extent. But that does not mean that it is not true and accurate. It is prophetic. God is pre-writing history for John to report. It is a prophetic announcement. And it converges with all the prophets. So much of what's in this 22nd chapter, if I had time, I could show you how much of the Old Testament is quoted in this chapter. And the visions of the prophets of the Old Testament. God is giving us pre-written history so that we can put an anchor down and hold fast to it. So, God, if anyone hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll and adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes the words away, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. In other words, Jesus says, this is my seal upon this scroll. This is my stamp of approval. These are my words. And John replies, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then John concludes, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace.